Hey everyone, welcome back to Just Mel's Journey with Friends, the podcast. Today we are going to sit down with Rye, and I'm going to put a few trigger warnings on this audio. Um, There are talks of suicide, suicide attempts, human trafficking, sex assault, and some other topics. So if any of that is a trigger to you, go ahead and skip this episode and we'll see you again next week. This is a multiple part with Ryan um, to really get his story out there. So just sit back and if you as you're listening to this, if you think of anyone that may be going through something similar um, when it comes to if you're not sure if they're safe at home or anything like that, if you see something, say something. Check in on your friends. Check in on those people that you get close with on social media. Um, You never know what's happening behind closed doors, and I think that Ryan's story is a great example of that. And Ryan, I want to thank you so very much for sharing your story with us. And without further ado, here it is. So, so this is the first podcast I've done, fair warning. Um, so I don't totally know how to do this. Uh, this is a part of me just trying to reclaim my power and help other people, hopefully. Absolutely. And it's totally fine. Just think of it as like just a like two friends talking. So would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Rye or Ryan. Uh, I'm 22 now. A single parent to one wonderful toddler. Um, I'm also chronically ill, so it's interesting. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> your your toddler, um, are they like under five? I guess, I guess, uh, toddlers yeah, so are usually under five, right? <laughs> they're he's about to turn four. Oh my goodness! Turn four in September, so oh. he's. A big boy. We actually just went to the doctor um, this morning. We found a new pediatrician for him because we just moved to a new area. And he is eight inches. So he is humongous. (laughs) Yeah. He's almost taller than me. I'm five foot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he comes up to my chest and I'm five seven. Oh my goodness. You're like, okay, well, you know, that's... I, there's something about like the this generation I'm not sure what it is but the <clears throat> are they gen y I'm no not idea. sure but uh, but they are very they're a lot bigger than I remember kids being and like not in a bad way they're just like they're they grow so quickly I'm like what you guys are so big already I, um, like, I... I know this is definitely conspiracy theory, but I have always wondered if like the things that they put in our foods to make it last longer and whatever, if like that has anything to do with like the change and the way. Oh, yeah. The hormones are. and all of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could totally see that because I remember, so my niece is 21 and then my nephew is 13 and then I have some um, godchildren and I'm like they are not the same size that I remember them being like they were always like my niece is super tall but she was never like she was she hit her tallness at like 12 and 13 but nowadays I'm just like how how, how where'd you guys get this tall gene from because I missed it like I am barely five foot I'm I always say that I'm five two there's no way like I'm probably like yeah. four, four eleven. <laughs> Well, and it's also, like, it's crazy. Sorry. It's kind of loud outside. There's a plane overhead. But um, so my son is mixed. So his sperm donor is half black. 
And so he's super, like, his sperm donor is also taller than me. I'm 5'7". He's probably a foot taller than me. Oh, wow. Um, and so, like, you will also have to worry about, like, people assume that he's older than he is, which is understandable. He looks older than he is. But they assume that his abilities are of equivalence to, like, a six- or seven-year-old because he's the size of an average six- or seven-year-old. And you're like, no, he's four. Like, he doesn't know a lot of those things because at six and seven, you're getting into school. But at four, you're still you're still a baby. You're still learning all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so you said that you are chronically ill. Would you, what kind of, if you want to share, um, what kind of chronic illnesses do you deal with every day? Um, so I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. Um, I have POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and we think that I have lupus. I have the genetic markers for it or like what they can test for, Mm -hmm. um, I am waiting to see a rheumatologist. Um, and so I guess we'll see soon. Okay. Um, I have POTS as well. And so I totally empathize with, and I don't know if you live in a hot area, but this summer has absolutely been brutal. And I find myself like I can't be outside for more than like 10 minutes. And then I start to get all sorts of, all kinds of issues. So. Oh, yeah. Um, um where I live, it's it's pretty hot. It doesn't really get above 100, though, thankfully. It's usually in the 90s, but this week we have lower weather, so I am so thankful. 86 is our high for this week. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. You're like, yes, I am so ready for um, fall. I'm done oh, with yeah. summer. Like, the bugs, everything, I'm done with it. I don't know. And this is my first year, um, well, actually the first few months that I've been diagnosed with POTS. We had suspected it, but you know how it is when you have chronic illnesses. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we think you might have and like list all of these different things. And so then you go for testing. Anyways, um, oh, how, yeah. how has the all of those illnesses, how do they affect your day to day, especially with a toddler? Uh, it's been really hard because before now I haven't really had any support because I've been a single parent. Um, due to the essentially brainwashing that we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. I left the situation that I had my son in and ended up in another bad relationship and then another one after that. Um, so it left us really unstable, like financially, but also because of that, I wasn't able to seek the medical treatment that I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, And I've just had really bad doctors. So it was really hard for a long time because I always felt inadequate with my son because I wanted to be able to give him the dad that can go and run at the playground and be out in the heat and go to the pool and do all those things. But I wasn't able to do that. Now I've gotten a lot more medical care and I'm getting set up with doctors in my new area and So I'm hoping it'll be better in that aspect. But also, I have some really amazing support around me right now that if I can't do something, they're right there to step up and help. Oh, that is true. Oh, yeah. And um, one of the people that helps, um, she's a daycare provider. And so, like, she knows all about kids and she comes from a big family. And so it's... It's amazing because it's like she actually knows what she's doing, uh, sometimes even more than I do. Um, 
because she's also a few years older than me because I'm only 22. I got pregnant with my son when I was 17. I was almost 18. Mm-hmm. I think that finding um, health care providers that actually care and actually listen to the patient is can actually change like your whole trajectory. And especially, sorry, Nori's going to lose his mind because. Okay. Um. Anyways, but when you go to a doctor and you're feeling all of these things, you can't do what, you know, able-bodied people can do every day. And you're like, there's something wrong. And they're like, oh, well, you're depressed or, oh, well, let's try this. You know, you need to go to psychiatry. You need to do all this. And it's like, it's not in my head, you know? And so yeah. I think that finding that care system, the, and especially to have the support that you do for family and everything like now for your um, son I can only imagine that that's kind of like a weight lifted off, even though you do have all of these other things going on, but you finally have some support and feel like you're kind of heading in the right direction. Yeah, this is, I think, the first time in my life that I've been in a situation that I feel completely safe. So it's it's life-changing. It truly is because of, I think it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like when you have those needs met, like it's crazy the things that you can actually do. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, Also, the other thing is, too, is that it's this never-ending cycle of, like, when people are constantly gaslighting you that, oh, well, it must not be that bad, or it's just in your head, or whatever, it's really hard to stand up for yourself and to be Mm -hmm. able to say, no, this is not in my head. I actually, like, am in a unusual amount of pain. I actually feel bad. And this is not something that other people feel because I just thought for so many years that it was just normal. Like I found out the other day that growing pains aren't a thing. Yeah. That it's actually just like, like signs that you may have a connective tissue disorder, which I do. Um, so like, cause when I was 12 is when the first like big signs that I had connective tissue disorder were showing and my knee started to dislocate. Oh, my. I was um, on the beach in Florida visiting um, some family. And so I'm away from my parents for the first time, really, in my life. Uh, Or away from, like, the family that I spend a lot of time with and that was, like, my support system. Um, The family that I got to see once a year, maybe once every three years. uh, And my knee started dislocating on the beach. (laughs) And I had no idea what it was. And my doctor was just like, oh, we're going to diagnose it as patellar subluxation, which is literally just subluxing knees. Yes, I know my knees are dislocating, but why? (laughs) Obviously, that's why I'm here. But why is that happening? That's not normal. (laughs) Right. Like, come on. This is not every day. Like, how many other 12-year-olds are their knees dislocating? Like, come on now. (laughs) Right. Oh my so. goodness. Um, so tell us a little bit about like your story of growing up and that you were in foster care. So I guess how did all of that happen? So it's my situation is pretty unique that I was taken away from my parents when I was 14. It was Uh, So basically just remember whatever year it is after 2000. So like 2014, I was 14. Um, And so in 2014, I was taken away from my parents. 
Um, and I went to go live with my aunt. So guardianship was just transferred over. So at that point, I wasn't like in foster care, but I basically was because I got a lot of the benefits of it. And because of my mental health being so bad because of the situation that I come from and just my whole family has mental health issues. So I was already prone to having them. Um, my first suicide attempt was in 2008. So I was only eight years old. Um, yeah. And my family didn't believe that I needed the help that I desperately needed. Um, and so that was kind of the leading cause to me being taken away. Uh, the official reason was medical neglect. Um, and so I went to live with my aunt and it was only supposed to be temporary. Um, but because I had such bad mental health issues, I was in and out of the psychiatric hospital um, because I just had constant suicide attempts or I was suicidal and I was trying to learn how to ask for help when I needed it. But as most people know, it takes years to usually find medications that actually work for you. Oh, yeah. uh, and so around 2016, I ended up having to, so my aunt was going to send me to, I guess, like a group home. It was, I think it's now labeled as a state hospital. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm from Texas and it's this place called Waco Center for Youth. Um, if you look, there's a lot of good reviews, but there's also a lot of really bad ones. And we know a lot more now about the troubled teen industry. And I think that they are kind of a part of that. I'm not sure how bad they are, but I was really scared because I, the little support that I had was from my friends online. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them were like all over the country. Some were, so I'm from the Dallas area. Some of them were in like Houston, some were in Colorado, some were in Georgia, some were um, in Arizona, like from all over. But that was the only like real support I had um, because nobody my age really understood. And these were people that were around five years older than me in general. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had gone into this hospital, I would have not been allowed to contact anybody, including oh my. my family, except for like once a week or once a month. Um, and my friends, I wouldn't be allowed to contact at all while I was there. Oh my um, yeah. And so it was really scary. Yeah, because not only are you getting taken away from, you know, your family. So it's not only scary because you're getting taken away from, you know, the stability that you had, but then you have in the limited stability that you had, you know, with your um, family with the little support, but then the one people, the people that are supporting you, even though it is online. And that is something that I wish more people understood. Those friendships that you gain online, like those are... I sometimes feel that they know you more than the people in real life because there's something about being online that you can tell your deepest, darkest secrets, you know? And so I can't yeah. imagine, and especially a, you were 14, correct, going where they were trying to do that? Um, so I was about 15 or 16 when they were wanting to send me to this place. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. And so I lived with my aunt for about a year and a year and a half. And the other thing is, too, is that I, so I got sexually assaulted at my school by a classmate. Um, mm -hmm. And 
I was not believed and then I still had to ride the school bus with this person every single day. Um, The only thing that they did was put him on the back of the school bus and me on the front. Um, And they suspended me for three days because I told somebody and they said that I had consensual sex on school property. What? Um, He got suspended for two days and I got suspended for three. They believed that he couldn't actually do that because he was autistic. Um, Which I also suspect that I'm on the spectrum, but that's not really here nor there. That doesn't discount somebody's ability to be able to do something horrible. Absolutely. And Um, especially like at a school and I don't know how putting him at the back of the bus is going to do anything because you still have to see that person that did something like that to you. Like that is, I am so sorry that you, that makes me so mad at the school. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and they also like my aunt, I was living with my aunt at the time. She completely believed me until this school counselor that at one point I used to tell everything to because I was going through a really hard time and that's how I got through things was talking to her. Um, But she trusted me with some information that she shouldn't have. And I shared it to protect a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it got out and she got in trouble. So then when this situation happened, she convinced my aunt that I was lying, even though uh, the person that did the SANE kit, the lady at the hospital, um, in case anybody doesn't know what that is, that's a rape kit, mm-hmm. um, even said, like, yes, I believe this person. Like, he actually was assaulted. Like, it's very clear by his reactions, by everything. Like, um, I still wasn't believed. Um, and so, and this happened, I literally came back to school the day I was supposed to take uh, my biology, um, like, STARS state testing. Um, and that's the only reason I got to come back as soon as I did. Oh my goodness. And because, so, of... because testing was the most important thing. Um, do you feel, uh, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Um, do you feel that you have any sort of PTSD after the sexual assault? Like even nowadays, do you feel, so I was assaulted at 13. Um, and so I know that how I act around certain people. Do you feel that um, those same types of like the PTSD and kind of flashbacks of what happened? I do. It's definitely gotten better over time, Um, but it doesn't, hasn't ever gone away. Mm -hmm. Um, I still flinch when I see somebody that I think is him. Um, And this also, that isn't the last time that that happened to me. Oh uh, that I was assaulted. And so I think that it was probably the lesser traumatic. Um, and I'll tell you about the other. It kind of fits along with the story in a certain way, though. Okay. Um, but it, I think that because I wasn't really allowed to feel like, I wasn't allowed to label it as rape mm-hmm. because nobody around me believed me except for my friends online. Yeah. Um, it was really hard to be able to process those emotions. 
Um, and since even like the counselor I was seeing at the time, I didn't really trust that what I was saying wasn't just being relayed to the adults in my life. Um, I didn't really start to process that until I was older and I was also processing everything else. Um, and even mostly now is when I'm starting to be able to process things the most because I'm in a safe place. Oh, and since yeah. this is the first time I've been in a safe place in such a long time, it's, it's a lot because everything kind of is just like, oh, you're safe now. Here's all your trauma. Now you deal with it. <laughs> and I, I can't even imagine because, and it's so weird how that happens that as soon as you feel safe, your body's like, okay, so we're going to start back at the very first trauma. You didn't remember this for a while. We're going to just bring you right back and you're going to feel all the emotions. And it's like, what? <laughs> why is this, yeah. this kind of happening? But, um, so go ahead and talk about the rest of your story and if i um i'll may interject it just like asking questions or something but if you just don't hear me i am definitely listening i just don't like to i don't like to interrupt so go ahead and tell about the rest of your story um so instead of going to this uh place waco center for youth um i ended up convincing my aunt who i was living with at the time to sign over rights to me to a lady from my church who I had known had gone to my church since probably like 2008 or 2009, which I started going to that church in 2008. I was a Christian at the time um, and I heavily relied on my faith to get through the day. Um, I am no longer a Christian. Um, and a lot of that has to do with this lady from my church um, but so I ended up convincing her to sign over rights to this lady from my church. The problem is, is that nobody decided to do a, which is a problem because oh. she is a felon for armed robbery what? among other things. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that was really a wild story, but, um, Things were really good at first with her until I think she started having financial troubles. Um, her husband was a electrician um, and there was one other minor girl that lived there. Um, and she, she and I were really good friends. Like we went to church camp together and we got really close, but then the, and that's who I called my foster mom. Um, because I mean, I guess that's really the closest thing to call her to what she was. Um, but it wasn't, she wasn't regulated by the state in any way. Um, and so things got really bad really quickly. Um, I finished out my sophomore year of high school at the school I was going to when I lived with my aunt, um, even though I was already living with this foster mom, um, and then, and I was learning how to drive, like I was able to get my permit to drive. And so like, things were great. Like she treated me like I was her own child and like, things were great. She was very, um, I don't really know what the best word is other than crazy about Christianity. She had literal scenes of the Bible painted on the walls of her house. 
that she painted her yeah like she had a room that it was the scene where jesus walks on water when there's a storm and asks the disciples why don't you believe in me because they were trying to wake him up because they were terrified because they're on a boat in the middle of a crazy storm that one and um that he who is without sin let him cast the first stone that one like every wall was painted in something from the bible uh her kitchen cabinets were all about how to be a meek woman and a meek wife um above my bed it said god sees um which is super freaking creepy yeah i i couldn't imagine waking up you know like that 2 a.m and like i wow okay yeah and then the craziest like thing that was on her walls to me was her door leaving her house onto her porch said and i quote if beyond this door is your eternal destination when the door opens and it will will your final stop be heaven or hell that's so fucking gaslighty and creepy oh, yeah. i don't understand. how the fuck is somebody crazy <laughs> yeah like i because i'm envisioning this and like i couldn't imagine as and it's so crazy the whole meek wife thing like that that's a topic for another time because i could go on a huge rant about that but anyways okay i'll continue (laughs) (laughs) um but so yeah so things got bad pretty quickly um i was living in a room that was kind of like on the porch it was an enclosed porch and it was separated so it was like along the long side of the house so it was a very narrow and long room i made it work it was fine Um, like a sunroom that was enclosed yeah okay yeah um and so things were fine and then um there was this lady that was living with her we called her grandma she was 99 years old um and passed away at 99 and a half years old she had almost made it to 100 um And after that, I think something just changed um, because this foster mom person, she was just really different. Um, She started working for this um, hotel and event center that was like a Christian hotel and event center. Whew, did we cover a lot, but there is so much more to Ryan's story. So go ahead over to the next part. You're listening to Just Mill's Journey with Friends, the podcast.